Ladies and gents and everybody else, welcome back to the podcast. The podcast is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I'm Tanner and I'm going to talk about stuff that happened. This podcast is something that I invented because I really love talking about history. I'm hoping to be a history teacher someday and this is kind of how I'm going to practice honing that skill that I hope to be using every day for the rest of my life. Hopefully. Except for summers. Because I like having summers off. All right. Today we're talking about the sinking of the Lusitania. Now, what is the Lusitania? Why did it sink? When did it sink? Why is this important? Well, let's jump back a little bit first. World War I is probably the most complicated subject from the 20th century. And if you're not a history nut like me, you might not have an extremely clear understanding of the events that took place leading up to the outbreak in 1914 or the reasons behind the escalation of the war to encompass most of the world to the stunning conclusion in 1918 where hostilities finally ceased after millions of lives had been lost. Well, I love learning about World War I. It's it's just one of those weird things that I tend to fixate on. I bought a 600-page book on the subject because I wanted to read about it, not because any college class or high school class or any other kinds of class told me to do so, but because I wanted to learn about it, and I read the whole thing. It's just this weird obsession that I have where I love to learn about this conflict and the human behavior that led to it. So another topic that some of you may be unfamiliar with is the reasoning behind the United States waiting until the the war had been raging for almost three years to finally stake a claim in the conflict. I mean, some common misconceptions are that the United States waited that long so they could be seen at the Treaty of Versailles and have a say in the reparation payments, or that the U.S. wanted to take on a hero status as they came in to settle the score between a series of warring nations who had devastated most of Europe. But but neither of that's true. In fact, the United States government and the citizenry of the country were pretty united in their desire to completely stay out of what they what they called a European war. This wasn't their fight, and they weren't going to fight it for people, for for other people. So there are two key events that led to the entrance of the United States into World War I. The Zimmerman Telegram and the use of unrestricted submarine warfare by the German Empire. Definition. Unrestricted submarine warfare is complicated. Prior to 1914, many navies around the world took part in a series of rules called prize rules. Essentially, if you were in a period of war and you saw a merchant vessel, meaning a vessel with little to no combat capabilities, who was flying under the flag of one of your enemies, the quote-unquote correct way to confront the ship was to capture it, take the resources it was carrying, and then either bring the ship back to a national port, sink the ship with no one on board it, or send it on its way empty-handed. With the invention of the military submarine, These vessels were required, under prize rules, to surface before searching a vessel, to place the crew in a safe location, and to offer plenty of warning before sinking the ship with nobody on board. When World War I broke out in 1914, Britain began secretly arming merchant vessels and their crews to defend against German submarines, called U-boats. In retaliation, the German Empire adopted a methodology called Unrestricted Submarine Warfare, where they would fire upon merchant vessels carrying the flags of enemy ships without warning to disrupt the supply lines of enemy nations, particularly Great Britain. And to justify their actions, the German Empire issued a threefold statement. 1. The waters around Great Britain and Ireland, including the whole of the English Channel, 
are hereby declared to be a war zone. From February 18th onwards, every enemy merchant vessel encountered in this zone will be destroyed, nor will it be always be possible to avert the danger thereby threatened to the crew and passengers. Two, neutral vessels will also run a risk in the war zone because in view of the hazards of sea warfare and the British authorization of January 31st of the misuse of neutral flags, it may not always be possible to prevent attacks on enemy ships from harming neutral ships. Three, navigation to the north of Shetland in the eastern parts of the North Sea and through a zone at least 30 nautical miles wide along the Dutch coast is not exposed to danger. To put it simply, the German Empire was telling merchant ships, if you sail out of a British port, we can destroy your ship. Not our fault if innocent people die. This is a war. But why were such drastic measures being taken by the German Empire? Well, here's why. In 1914, at the onset of the Great War, World War I, Britain imposed a severe blockade of all shipping routes the Germans had access to in the North Sea, effectively stifling the growth of the German war machine and putting a strain on food and supply lines through the country. Such drastic measures provoked drastic retaliation, and the U-boat campaign of the German Empire, including unrestricted submarine warfare, was that response. But let's, let's be clear about something. Not every German military commander was gung-ho about the unrestricted submarine warfare campaign. A lot feared that blowing up civilian vessels would provoke the United States into joining the war, and, and advocated against it. You know, maybe we shouldn't kill innocent people, but, you know, like I said, this is war. And not just any war, the greatest war ever fought up to that point in time. National pride was on the line. The German Empire adopted a new rules of war and went to work attacking merchant ships sailing from Britain. Alright, now we're on to our time machine jump. Jumping kids, we're going on a field trip. This is where we find ourselves in... 1915 with the RMS Lusitania waiting in the harbor of New York City. The Lusitania was a luxury cruise liner designed by the British Cunard Line, launched in 1906. At the time of its final voyage in 1915, the liner was able to carry around 1,900 passengers and crew. And to put that into perspective, the infamous Titanic carried 2,200 passengers and crew only 300 more than the Lusitania, so the ship was by no means a small one. It was a magnificent ship, and it had been decked out in all the latest stylings of luxurious lifestyle, beckoning for the wealthy and famous to take a stroll on its polished decks as it sailed across the Atlantic to Liverpool, England. And on May 1st, the passengers on board bid farewell to their loved ones waving from the docks as the ship pulled out from the harbor. Spoiler. It would be the last time many of them ever set foot on solid ground. The first six days of the voyage were uneventful, which is what most cruise passengers would prefer. People went about their business wearing their fancy clothes and eating their fancy food and enjoying the luxuries of the ocean liner. Then, on, on May 7th, 1915, as the Lusitania neared the Irish coastline en route to Liverpool, it was spotted by the crew of a German U-boat. At 11 a.m. that same day, the Lusitania had received warning that there was an unusual amount of German U-boat activity in the Irish Sea, as they thought it was a series of U-boats sinking ship after ship in the channel. In fact, in the days before the Lusitania entered the area, three large British ships had been sunk in the channel. 
but in reality, this was not the work of a coordinated U-boat attack, but the doing of a single submarine, U-20. U-20 was a German submarine under the command of Walter Schweiger. Having joined the Imperial Navy in 1903, he already had 12 years of experience under his belt, and at the outbreak of World War I, he showed no mercy to passing vessels, sinking 49 ships during the war. He didn't seem to have much empathy, as it didn't take long for him to decide to fire upon a passenger liner. Here's the sequence of events. At 1.20 p.m., U-20 sights the Lusitania. At 1.25 p.m., U-20 sets its course to intercept, dropping to a depth of 11 meters. And less than an hour later, U-20 fires a single torpedo at the Lusitania. At 2.10 p.m., from a range of 700 meters. On board the Lusitania, Leslie Morton, a lookout from the bow of the ship, sights two thin lines in the water coming toward the ship, signaling a torpedo coming right at them, immediately shouting, Torpedoes coming from the starboard side. But it was too late. With a deafening explosion, a shower of water and debris erupted from the starboard side of the ship, right behind the bridge, and rained down upon the deck of the Lusitania. Almost immediately, the ship began to list, and moments later, a second explosion rocked the ship, though no one knows exactly why that happened. With no time to spare, the captain of the Lusitania, William Thomas Turner, ordered the ship to be steered toward the Irish coastline two minutes after impact, already accepting that it was all a lost cause. Two minutes later, electricity in the ship failed, and the interior of the vessel was plunged into darkness. Panic ensued. The rapid listing of the ship com combined with the onboard panic complicated the launches of lifeboats on the vessel, with people jumping in and overfilling the boats, even tipping one over in the water. And in the madness, deckhands occasionally lost their grip on ropes when lowering the lifeboats, spilling the passengers into the sea. Of the many lifeboats on board the Lusitania, only four successfully launched and stayed afloat, reaching the Irish coastline. Through all of this, Captain Walter Schweiger of the Imperial German Navy had been watching quietly through his periscope. Certain the ship was doomed to sea, 15 minutes after the torpedo struck, he lowered his periscope, and U-20 slipped into the shadows of the ocean. Three minutes later, the Lusitania's bow slipped deep enough into the shallow water to collide with the seabed, causing the stern to rise out of the ocean, exhibiting the propellers to the survivors in the water, before it, too, settled and slipped beneath the waves. The entire ordeal had taken less than 20 minutes. In comparison, the Titanic had taken 2 hours and 40 minutes to sink. In all... Of the nearly 2,000 people on board, less than 800 survived the sinking of the ship, most succumbing to hypothermia in the cold water, measuring 50 degrees Fahrenheit. 128 of them were American citizens. The news of the sinking was met with international outcry, with nations across the world condemning the incident as a war crime, including Turkey and Austria-Hungary, both German allies in the war, Britain asked the United States to come to their aid and join the war, but Woodrow Wilson refused to overreact, citing that it would be taken into consideration. Instead, he issued three notes to the German Empire. 
The first note stated that American citizens had the right to travel across the Atlantic unimpeded, and the German Empire will stop attacking merchant and passenger liners. The second note stated that Wilson rejected the German arguments that the British blockade was illegal and was a cruel and deadly attack on innocent civilians, and their charge that the Lusitania had been carrying munitions. The third note was more threatening and issued an ultimatum to the effect that the U.S. would regard any subsequent sinkings as deliberately unfriendly. Basically, Wilson was saying, if you sink another ship, it's going to get ugly. The German Empire backed down. On September 17, 1915, Germany recalled all U-boats around Britain, except in the North Sea, and those left in the North Sea would again operate only under prize rules, no longer participating in unrestricted submarine warfare. The American people up to this point were against the war, but they were now taking into consideration that a war might be justified, as Germany had technically deliberately attacked American citizens. This prepared them for the events that would transpire two years later. The interception of the Zimmerman telegram, in which Germany called for Mexico to attack the United States, and the resumption of unrestricted submarine warfare by Germany in, in a moment of desperation in 1917. Following these events, the United States would officially declare war in April of 1917, joining the largest conflict up to that point, which would finally end in November of 1918. The sinking of the Lusitania was an international tragedy and was mourned and condemned by millions across the globe, and it has been added to the growing list of war crimes committed in the name of victory. In times of war, we can only hope that our desire for victory does not blind us to our bonds as human beings that have made our civilizations and societies flourish. And that's the end of this episode. It was a shorter episode today. It was a pretty long episode last week. I'm still getting the hang of this whole uh, format that I have going on where I do a certain topic every week, um, cycling through music and culture, ancient history, economics, and uh, war. This was a war episode this week, so that means next week I'm pretty sure we're diving into a music and culture. I may have to double check that. I feel a little bit unprofessional because I've forgotten what I scheduled, but I have scheduled out the rest of the year, and I'm very, very excited to show you what we've got planned for the rest of the year. So, if you enjoyed the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and drop a review so we can get more people involved with the conversations about history. Thank you for joining me this week. I will see you next week. This is Tanner talking about stuff, and I'm signing off. Catch you next week.